Her mind made up. Balchai turned around and began to retrace her steps, intending to go back to the other girls. But just at that moment, she noticed two enormous turquoise-coloured butterflies a little way ahead of her, each as large as a child's fan, fluttering and dancing on the breeze. She watched them, fascinated, and thought she would like to play a game with them. Taking a fan from inside her sleeve and holding it outspread in front of her, she followed them off the path and into the grass. To and fro fluttered the pair of butterflies, sometimes alighting for a moment, but always flying off again before she could reach them. Once they seemed on the point of flying across the little river that flowed through the midst of the garden, and Balchai had to stalk them with bated breath for fear of startling them out onto the water. By the time she reached the raindrop pavilion, she was perspiring freely, and her interest in the butterflies was beginning to evaporate. She was about to turn back when she became aware of a low murmur of voices coming from inside the pavilion. everybody welcome back we got your rereading here uh this is kevin wilson uh joined as always by william jones will how are you doing today i am superb how about you another great day i'm looking forward to so we're on chapter 27 this is the first chapter of book two uh as divided by the hawks translation um Hawks gives it a kind of a funny uh, subtitle. It's uh, Beauty Perspiring Sports with Butterflies by the Raindrop Pavilion. And Beauty Suspiring Weeps for Fallen Blossoms by the Flower's Grave. Um, so there's a lot to talk about today, uh, we, including in that title there. <laughs> Did you look up what suspiring is? Were you... Was that part of your uh, lexicon? I, it was not. No, I, I mean, in, is it? Is it? Is she crying? Is that what suspiring is supposed to be here? Uh, I, I think it means. I, I looked it up. Like, like just to like kind of um, to crying out, kind of. You know what I mean? Like a to breathe, um, sort of um, just like a, a sigh. You know, like mm. a, a, a kind of a dramatic, yeah. maybe a melodramatic. We can talk about that. Uh, sigh. Um, so that sounds that's, right to me. Of course, we got um, the first is, of course, a reference to Pao Chai, and the latter is uh, Dai Yu. So, but before we get into that, how about we do our trademark uh, recap and overview? Sure thing. So, last time around in chapter 26, we had the tail end of Bao Yu and Xi Feng's sudden. Uh, illness of the spirit so they were they were kind of cursed by this um 
this Taoist uh, lady, Mother Ma. Um, but mercifully, they recovered from their sickness. And this chapter is, again, it's made up of um, a mixture of different scenes from, from the mansion. So we have um, a section where the character Jia Yun goes to visit our um, protagonist, Bao Yu. So Jia Yun is a, he's a member of the Jia family, but quite a distant and poor relative. Uh, and so rather than living in the grand mansion, he lives in a small house in a nearby street. And he is a youngish man. He's rather kind of uh, intelligent and ambitious, you know, upwardly, uh, upwardly mobile. Um, and the last time he and Bayou saw each other several months before, Bayou said that he must come and pay him a visit in that way that, you know, rich people often do. Oh, you must visit us, you know. Um, and so he actually does, and they spend some time together. Um, and this is just kind of, you know, I, I suppose that we're seeing the beginning of, of uh, Jiayun's kind of rise, I suppose. Anyway, then later on, Baoyu is visiting his cousin and love interest, Lin Daiyu, who, um, who, as mentioned, is in the title of, of chapter 27. Um, and while there, he, he makes a joke. Um, he quotes from this, um, from this romantic play, the, the Romance of the Western Chamber, and it's a joke about marriage. Um, and there have been a couple of quips about this recently, about marriage between Baoyu and Daiyu. And generally, she takes these comments um, in rather a bad way. She often understands it to be people ridiculing or mocking her. Uh, and surprise, surprise, she reacts in the same way here. And they're in the middle of an argument when suddenly Baoyu is called away to uh, see his father, who is this very stern figure um, that Baoyu is very scared of. Um, so he hurries off to meet him, wondering what the you know the cause of this, what the reason is for him being summoned. But it turns out that it's actually not his father; it's his cousin Xuepan, um, who is the older brother of his other cousin and love interest, Xuepao uh, Chai, and is also, as we've said many times before, one of the most unequivocally bad characters in the novel. In this case, though, there's there's no kind of ill intent. Xuepan has invited him for a meal because it's soon going to be Xuepan's birthday and as kind of early presents some of the household have got him a couple of wonderful different foodstuffs to eat um, including a, a Siamese smoked suckling pig and a giant melon. So he goes off for this meal with Xuepan and a couple of others and nothing much of note happens but they're visited by this character Feng Ying, who's a, a youngish man the son of an important military general, and he says that he's going to have them round for a meal in a, in a week or two after that, um, and we will see that in subsequent chapters. Anyway, Baoyu then returns, um, and he goes to see, as mentioned, his cousin, Bao Chai, and it's quite late into the evening at this point, um, and the door to his house is, is closed by servants. So when his other love interest, Lin Daiyu, comes round to visit, uh, the servants refuse her entry. And the reason she's refused entry is because it's late and the servants don't want to let anyone else in um, because it's a hassle to have to, you know, wait on them. Um, but Dayu misconstrues it as Bayu deliberately excluding her from her life, from his life, and, you know, in, in the way that she's prone to. She takes minor and sometimes inconsequential things as being various serious kind of affronts to her. And so she sits just uh, in the shadow of a tree just by the 
beside the gate, um, quietly weeping to herself, uh, and that's where the chapter ends. In this chapter, because we left Ayu outside the gate, um, that's where we return to. The gate creaks open, and out comes Baoyu, Baochai, and their servants. Um, she goes off, and he returns inside. Daiyu then returns to her room to cry bitter tears alone. Uh, the next day, it's this uh, festival, the Festival of Grain in Ear, which is basically a folk festival marking the beginning of summer, um, where all of the women of the household get dressed up in kind of splendid colours, and all the flowers and trees in the rest of the garden are also brilliantly brilliantly decorated. Uh, so everyone is there, uh, except Dayu, who is, um, um, we think, kind of sleeping or possibly sulking. She's still in bed anyway. Um, so Balchai goes off to find her, but when she draws near, she overhears Dayu and Balyu in conversation, and she decides not to disturb them. So instead, she decides to return to the others, and she finds a pair of um, butterflies, big, beautiful butterflies on the way. And so she follows them, trying to play with them, and she finds herself close to this pavilion, the raindrop pavilion. And inside, she overhears two maidservants discussing the romantic affair that one of them, named Crimson, is having with Jia Yun, the, the poor relative we mentioned before. Uh, Baochai is nearly uh, discovered in her eavesdropping, but she manages, she manages to escape with a, a kind of cunning trick. Um, at that point, Wang Xifeng, who's one of the women of the household, she's kind of one of the most important within the household, uh, she's very kind of involved in, in running it, um, she summons this servant, Crimson, to take a message for her to another part of the household. And Crimson does such a good job taking this message that Xifeng invites her to be part of her kind of personal uh, serving staff. In the meantime, uh, Baoyu has been to visit Daiyu, um, but she has mostly ignored him when he tries to talk to her. Uh, so instead he goes to talk to his half-sister, Tan Chun, and they discuss various kind of family matters. And then Baoyu is left to himself. Um, he sees some fallen flower petals, and so he decides to gather them up and bury them, as uh, as Daiyu has taught him. Um, on the way to the flower's grave, he overhears a, a distant voice singing this kind of sorrowful song. And Baoyu overhears the song and himself is overcome by tears. And that's where the chapter ends. Okay, yeah. So how about... Uh... Yeah, so do you have any kind of first impressions? Well, this chapter, I guess, is a, is a good pairing of um, the kind of like a very serious emotional romantic stuff that Baoyu and, uh, and Daiyu are, are kind of going through. Yeah. Okay. With kind of more ordinary day-to-day -day household stuff, you know, like, you know, servants servants taking messages. And honestly, I find both of them interesting. You know, I, I, I think there's kind of appeal in both. One thing that was interesting to me is you mentioned already the title how how Hawks refers mm. to them as perspiring beauty or beauty perspiring and beauty suspiring, referring to Bao Chai and Daiyu. In the in the Chinese, the there's quite an interesting kind of allusion or reference. So beauty perspiring uh mm -hmm. actually specifically uses um Yang Fei which is a reference to Yang Gui Fei, uh, who's right. one of the right. kind of great beauties of Chinese history. And then mm -hmm. beauty suspiring is referred to as uh, fei yan, so flying mm -hmm. swallow, basically an, another, you know, classical Chinese beauty. And so there's this this comparison, I suppose, between 
characters in this book and mm-hmm. and real characters from from Chinese history, which which I find kind of interesting. Yeah, and so kind of to uh, to build upon your point, we have in in the middle of the chapter we have these like domestic daily affairs, you know, kind of nitty gritty, a little bit mundane, conniving here and there. Um, but then the, the chapter is sort of bookended by these um, complementary uh, sort of approaches to um, the end of spring, right? Or at least the end of the flower season. Um, yeah, as for the title you mentioned, um, there, there's a, a kind of a classic uh, Chinese idiom, Huanfei Yan Shou, right? Which means literally um, like plump Huan and slender Fei, which kind of like describes sort of the difference in the sort of the the type of beauty represented by these two characters right because we talked a little bit about how um pao chai is on the the plumper side and um and dai yu is a sort of thin or even you know verging on like frail composition and maybe also you know we see an interesting kind of complementary uh you know attitudes toward life you see i was struck by how Pao Chai is sort of like frolicking <laughs> through the garden, uh, sort of enjoying life, and uh, like she's like literally on her feet, and also kind of I guess fig- figuratively on her feet, dealing with uh, potentially awkward uh, social interaction, potential complications with her overhearing uh, Crimson's sort of secret plotting. By contrast, you see Daiyu, uh, this completely uh, sort of oblivious, only barely abiding social conventions, just completely uh, dominated by her emotions and by sorrow, you know, but also like creating this like uh, sort of um, over the top, fairly exquisite, poetic uh, improvisation. <laughs> uh, and, and that's kind of, those, those are the parts of the chapter that uh, like really... Uh, you know, really caught my attention. But there is a lot in the middle there, which is, uh, I think, also pretty significant for how the interaction with um, Crimson and Shifeng plays out. It could really go in a lot of different ways. Um, so th- th- there seems to be mm. a lot happening here. Yeah, I think that's completely right. Um, with the juxtaposition of, as you said, happiness and sadness, Balchai and Dayu, you know, plump and slender, uh, is is really apparent in this chapter definitely so do you want to do you want to do you want to kind of dive dive in yeah let's jump right in we can talk a little bit about the resolution of the last chapter i I don't have too much to say there's this kind of this like brief moment where uh actually uh daiyu sees bao chai finally leave bao yu's residence late at night but she hides in the shadows um, I don't have anything really uh, like profound yeah. to say about that, but maybe you want to maybe you have a few words. No, there was just really one thing that I wanted to pick out in the use of language, which in the Chinese the the word for hiding that they're using is this character Shan, which is visually literally a doorway with a person in it, um, and so uh, you know like I think you can overemphasize the visual aspect of Chinese characters. They're not all pictographic, but in this case, it did have like a clear pictographic quality to me, like. She's like, mm. her hiding is like tucking herself away in a corner into like f- tucking herself into a doorway kind of thing. Um, so I could really, you know, I could really picture that, you know. Uh, I, I don't know if we were supposed to find this funny, but, you know, after she returns to her room and she's just kind of quietly weeping and things, 
that <laughs> the author makes clear that her um her maids are now completely just um how would I put it exactly um they're not really particularly concerned about her uh crying endlessly you know um they're like habituated exactly, exactly. I, I think in the, I think in the Chinese it's uh Kangwanla. Yeah. Which I thought was kind of yeah. funny. Um, um, so they're like, they're, they're used to yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know. And there's this, yeah, this thing is like, if she wasn't, you know, crying, she'd be sighing long, you know, long sighs. I, I, I mean, I don't want to kind of dismiss it completely and make a joke, make a joke of it because, uh, you know, I suppose perhaps this is um, undiagnosed depression, I suppose. But it could also just be that it's the the way that teenagers are you know like um you know often everything is highly dramatic mm. um mm-hmm. the the emotions that you feel are so kind of intense um and you're so kind of thoroughly self-centered um <laughs> uh for sure right um and this is going to be a hard this is a hard time of year for um for somebody who so deeply uh is associated and uh, identifies with uh flowers right because we have mm-hmm. the festival of the grain and ear mm-hmm. coming up the uh mang zhong jie uh in in the original mm-hmm. um which is basically a kind of the way it's described uh in the text is it's a a, a kind of going away party for the the flowers yeah and for this for the spirits of the flowers right and you're right you mentioned before that this shows two very different approaches to the end of spring right like um for those celebrating the grain in ear festival it's a cause for celebration and, and happiness right it's you it's well wishing it's a parting but it's not a sad one you know it's 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 something you meet with with happiness and dressing up and things yeah. whereas for yeah. for dayu the 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 falling of the flowers is is crushing and and kind of heartbreaking yeah well she's she's turned it into a funeral kind of uh whereas the original celebration actually what they do is they they take all these any kind of ribbon or um exquisite material embroidered fabric or cloth and and they they tie it all around the various tree branches and 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 the bushes and the shrubs and and my sense is that you know the flowers are departing, but this is sort of a, a way to like supplement their loss, you know? So rather than, you know, having this kind of somber bareness exposed all of a sudden, mm. instead you have this kind of like this like supplementary glimmer. And they describe how, you know, all the all the various trees are adorned in this fashion. And so it sounds like a lot of fun, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, you know, like like Dayu, she's just too uh, she's just too morose. Almost like maybe she would be goth or something nowadays. Like she like she's she's, she's burying the flowers and uh, like singing at the end something like a a, a requiem in effect. Uh. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. Um, I think that she is. Yeah, she's very goth, isn't she? Um, but the others. The, <laughs> uh, meanwhile, all the all the normies, all the like uh, you know. The mainstream are are off having their their nice party where they get dressed up. There was this really great term to describe how like elaborately or brilliantly they were dressed up, um, which in in the Chinese is tao xiao xing rang, yan du ying tan. So 
Taoshiao means the the peach is uh, ashamed, I suppose, or shy, uh, and Xingrang is like, and the apricot is like inferior. And then Yandu Yingcan means the swallow is jealous and the oriole is like ashamed, basically. And so it's like the way that all of the women in the garden are dressed and kind of made up is so kind of elaborate um, that it puts the natural world to shame, like by comparison, basically. You know, the the brilliance of the bird's plumage and the, and the flowers is is yeah is thrown into kind of sharp relief by it. And that kind of follow that kind of uh, follows in the uh, the tradition of the the great beauties in historical China. Uh, and so I was doing some like beauty review, in effect. Uh, and so we we've already mentioned Yang Weifei, who was said to put all flowers to shame, which is kind of um, the fact that she was identified with um, uh, Bao Chai. It kind of makes you wonder: Is she putting, mm. in a sense, um, Dai Yu to shame through that reference, right? Whereas, um, uh, so yeah. uh, Dai Yu was associated with uh, Wang Jiaojun uh, or or or, uh, or uh, Fei Yan, right? The flying swallow, mm. and she would put uh, birds to shame, right? Meanwhile, uh, Shishir, who I think Dai Yu was explicitly compared to Shishir a, a few times, she was said to put fish to shame, mm. right? In, in a sense, right? Oh, like right. the idea okay, was cool. the fish get how to swim in, in her uh, in her presence and they'd like run into things or something. Uh, whereas <laughs> uh, Wang Jiaojun would make the, the, the birds fall from the sky because they're so disoriented or intoxicated from her beauty. Um, and, and the fourth major beauty, uh, Diao Chan, uh, was said to... Uh, you know, to shame the moon, and so the moon would hide itself uh, in her in her presence. Uh, so there's this great, like, kind of a, a long, uh, you know, uh, august tradition of um, like shaming various things in the natural world. Uh, that was kind of that's kind of nice. They're like shaming the natural world. Um, I really do like that. Like, I think it's a fascinating idea. Um, the the concept of like being so yeah being so stunning that you 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 yeah <laughs> the birds are flying out are falling out of the air yeah it goes back to some like classical questions of philosophical aesthetics as well because there's always this question of like what is you know the source of beauty is it the natural world and human beings and the human bodies are kind of a, a derivative form or it's like what's is there an ultimate referent to our aesthetic appreciation is it nature or is it like you know uh, like sensuousness or amorousness or sexuality or something uh and so this is kind of one um uh, intervention mm. in that uh long-standing uh, kind of global controversy um but yeah any, anyway um We've arrived on the festival of what Hawks translates grain in the ear. Um, and so they have this kind of cool thing happening. Which, which I guess is like in ear in the sense of like the grain has like the seeds are. Because mm-hmm. you talk about like it. Uh, it's, it's essentially that like it's put forth the grains and now they just need to be like growing. You know, they the, the flowers have all been pollinated and now it's time for the the, the actual like the growing to happen all across the mm-hmm. summer. Mm-hmm. 
and and so everyone's everyone's uh having a lot of fun outside you can imagine it's kind of like a picnic or something uh everyone except mm-hmm. Dayu. uh and so the, her absence is uh, eventually noted or noticed and um bao chai who I, you know i think bao chai comes across really favorably in this chapter um like like kind of responsible yeah. like prudent but still capable of having fun she's just she's uh, she's miscongeniality really isn't she <clears throat> like her her what one of her kind of great attributes is her ability to be congenial with others to be very considerate of others feelings and to know how to um adapt her own behavior to make others uh, at ease or comfortable i suppose yeah maybe she's like she's politic in her but not in this like mm. shifeng like real politique she's like she's just sort of um no very conscientious and uh, I find it kind of admirable mm. in, in some ways. Um, and so she she decides, yeah. well, you know, I'm going to find my buddy, uh, Dayu. And um, and so we have this, like, she kind of makes her way through the garden, which involves, you know, this, like, kind of circuitous route uh, across a lot of, like, you know, noteworthy, you know, garden sites along the way. Uh, but then, as you mentioned in the intro... Mm. Um, she arrives upon the the naiad's house. That's what it's called in the Hawks translation. Um, there's an issue because it's it's clear that uh, Bao Yu just arrived, and and she's very conscious of how her you know trailing in Bao Yu's uh, footsteps would be interpreted, especially by a kind of a more uh, suspicious disposition, like. Uh, Daiyu has, and, and so she decides to kind of to retreat, in effect, right? And it's at this point that she is, uh, she, her eye is caught by uh, what in Hawks is um, a, a turquoise colored butterfly. But uh, you know, as you mentioned um, before, before we uh, went on air, so to speak, um, in the original, it's actually a, a jade colored a mm-hmm. yusu. And so, did you have what's your what's your psychoanalytic interpretation? Because I have one, but maybe I I don't want to like I don't want to steal your thunder. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, I mean, as we were saying, like uh, to to me, I initially I thought this is strange that Hawks has translated jade colored as turquoise because to me the meaning is so obvious. It's like it's not even really subtext. Mm. It's he's bearing the lead, you know, jade. Yeah, exactly, exactly. By making it turquoise, he's he's making it more subtle. I mean, obviously, Jade is very closely associated with Baoyu because he is the precious Jade, he is the stone, but also, you know, Yu is the character that's in both Baoyu and Daiyu's name, so clearly it's associated with them. A pair of butterflies kind of courting and playing with each other is, is obviously symbolic of uh, a pair of lovers, um, and that pair of lovers you know clearly would be Baoyu and Daiyu in this case and and Bao Chai has just left there kind of chasing them and trying to play along but being kind of left behind but 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 I mean I also went off and did a little bit of reading around this and symbolically butterflies in Chinese culture do have an extremely like strong association with um with lovers 
um, right. you know, with with um, couples. Of course, yeah. And so there's this um, there's this Chinese folk story, uh, Liang Zhu, sometimes known as the Butterfly Lovers, which is essentially a, a tragic love story. Um, and so yeah, so so to me, the symbolism was really it was laid on a little bit too strong. But um, <laughs> um, but what did you think? Uh, yeah, I, I mean. Uh... It didn't bother me. Maybe I'm like a, a sucker for um, symbolism. <laughs> My and plus, you know, yeah, it's a good question. I could imagine the uh, the Bao Chai character being so um, proper and uh, reserved that maybe she like even it's like her uh, her unconscious is working overtime, and so maybe she wouldn't even like kind of realize that this is a, a displacement. Of, of of her seeking uh, Daiyu, but also a, a displacement of her. There's no doubt she also has a, a, an affection for uh, Bao Yu, even though it's not as emphasized in the text. You know, we we, we are to assume that mm. you know, uh, and and so maybe she um, doesn't dwell upon it as consciously as Daiyu does. Um, and, and so this this kind of sim. It's like the the idea is you know different dreams work for different people depending on how um subtle their you know their desires and their consciousness is and so maybe like her dreams don't yeah. really need uh <laughs> the extra layer of symbolism perhaps uh and so just chasing two butterflies <laughs> yeah. works yeah um that's yeah you know, there's different ways to take it maybe for her it's just yeah for her it's just chasing two butterflies and nothing more there's no greater symbolic meaning on one hand, I want to say like she like uh, I really want to contrast her behavior with what happens later, where you know she's basically just running all over the um, all over the garden. But on the other hand, there is some mention that she's kind of like because she is pursuing the butterflies, um, you know, like cautiously, gracefully, that she's actually on uh, a, a Chengyu Nieshou Niejiao. You know, to, to walk quietly and so it, it, in a sense even though she's mm. moving you could say she's still respecting the the fallen flowers you know maybe uh maybe Dayu would um approve of this particular kind of movement you know uh <laughs> I, I think that i think that even though she's going carefully tactfully uh to me it's still mm -hmm. it's still playful for her you know she her approach is very much one of um enjoying herself um not being too caught up in, you know, any grand concerns, but just yeah. having a little bit of fun, you know, enjoying mm -hmm. enjoying this like yeah. fine yeah. spring day, you know. Um, and so everything. This is kind of the opening where the scene is set. There's like there's no problems in the world, kind of. Um, but then all of a sudden, yeah, she approaches the. What's referenced in the title, the subtitle that we talked about a moment ago, the uh, what Hawks translates as the raindrop pavilion. In the original, it's Di uh, Ting, um, which more literally, I guess mm. it's yeah, I guess it's like dripping with uh, freshness. A more literal translation would be like again this this fervency yeah, that we talk about again and again. Uh, in this novel, it's like a drop of green or something. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, and and even you know even the the tray is again um, like jade adjacent, right? It's a kind of yeah. Um, yeah. There's so much, 
this has become an issue almost. There's so much uh, like jade imagery in this language that's being used. It's not always clear like what part of it is meant sim- symbolically and what part of it is just yeah. like an artifact. <laughs> it's difficult of, to keep up, um, isn't it? Kind of an ornamental style and the fact that that's just part of this linguistic tradition. Um, and so like you can really like you can really go mad, you know, in front of the chalkboard, red lines connecting everything. If you like <laughs> if you take too seriously every like reference to jade right um but yeah, yeah. so this is the raindrop pavilion uh it's in this really nice spot three of its um of its sides are adjoining the water um it has this nice um terrace and so on and so forth and but behind uh mm. some closed blinds there's some uh some kind of um salacious chatter going on in the in the mm. in the chinese it's uh kind of an onomata po onomata poetic onomata peak form uh <laughs> chi chi cha cha did you notice that one <laughs> there's a lot of these interesting kind of um i didn't see that character one, no, expressions in this chapter and that's one of them which is just a yeah. kind of a the sound of cool. i guess um a kind of a active yeah, kind of chit yeah gossiping like, maybe um, go- yeah, gossiping like... yeah it, it, in the past couple of chapters we've had this um growing uh romantic feeling between Jia Yun and crimson right um where they've they've met a couple of times and it's clear that there are kind of strong feelings on both sides but because of their relative social positions they're not really able to like act on them much and recently, there have been new like trees and flowers planted in the garden, supervised by Jia Yun. Um, and while he was there, he found this lost handkerchief that he's been holding on to for a while. And um, and he's found out that the lost handkerchief belongs to um, belongs to Crimson. Um, mm-hmm. And so, through this other maid, Trinket uh, Dreyar, um, he has. Um, yeah, he's kind of returning it to her. But yeah, as we as we said in, in the past chapter, um he's not giving her the the handkerchief she lost, is she? He's he's giving her one of his own but pretending it's the it's the lost one. Um right. And she's trying to figure out like what's going on here. Like maybe he thought this would be romantic or or maybe he thought this would just be like a brutal kind of way to um to force uh further interaction between the two of them. Uh, but it's clear from the dialogue that she's trying to like figure out uh, how to navigate this situation, and and so she ends up, based on the 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 dialogue which uh, Bao Chai overhears, she ends up uh, giving one of her own handkerchiefs as the gift. So it, you see how convoluted it is. Yeah. It's like back as a, as a kind of rule. It's like oh, you found yeah, but... my um, you you found my handkerchief. Thank you. As a gift, I will give you my handkerchief. <laughs> <laughs> this other handkerchief, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like it's like a, it's like some kind of ridiculous financial like, uh, like operation yeah. where you, you know, it's like you're short selling yourself or like Exactly. There's a lot of like gifts and things traded back and forth, um, but even if it's slightly kind of confusing or convoluted, I think we can. We can easily right, divine yeah, the, not... the the like underlying meaning, right? Which is um, this is um, a case of yeah, kind of strong feelings between between Crimson and 
Jia Yun. And the chatter mm-hmm. here between the two servants is, um, although to our ears, pretty mild stuff, I think in the context is, is um, <laughs> w- like, potentially could be kind of scandalous. Um, right, right. And that speaks to some of the uh, kind of the uh, the underlying unfreedoms associated with this space and with maybe this uh, social order more generally, right? Yeah. And, um, and, and we know that Crimson is quite a kind of... Um, she's ambitious. She's definitely keen to advance, not only within her kind of what we might call career, I suppose, uh, w- within the world of work, I suppose, but also romantically she clearly thinks that there's an opportunity there to kind of move up. Mm-hmm. Um, n- not that she's in it. N- not that she's not kind of, uh, uh, you know, motivated also by genuine sentiment. But you know, yeah, she's she's described by Bao Chai in Bao Chai's internal monologue as being uh, like, what's the expression? Diao Zun Gu Guai, so um, crafty mm. and. Uh, yeah eccentric or a little odd or a little you know a little bit mischievous maybe yeah and and actually there's a there's another four character Cheng Yu in there that I kind of picked up which is um Yan Kong Xin Da which is literally uh, eyes empty heart big um and I looked this up and this is apparently uh coined by the author of this of this novel so you know in a similar way to Shakespeare injecting new like figures of speech into the language um, so what does that mean? Eyes empty, heart big. Basically, eyes empty, in this sense, means like you you almost don't see anyone else. Like you, you're kind of you don't have any regard for others. Mm. You're kind of self-important and even maybe kind of conceited and arrogant. And xinda is to say your heart is big. You're kind of rather proud and full of yourself. Mm. Um, so so you can see like there's um yeah the, the strong similarity okay. of meaning between those 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 phrases maybe kind of like a yeah like a, a striving narcissist sort of it's it's not a favorable expression uh d- description it, it isn't it isn't but but you know it's it's i feel like it seems kind of unfair i i have a relatively good view of her so far or or rather i don't think there's anything that she's done which in any way mm-hmm. merits her being singled out for criticism yeah that, that's a good point and that's generally uh there's just a general tendency for people of lower status doing the same things that other people of higher status would do but having those um the same kind of activities and gestures uh, judged more harshly uh and so i wonder if there's a little bit of that uh here i would think so yeah anyway um so bao chai is kind of eavesdropping on them when suddenly crimson and trinket the other servant she's speaking with um they get this funny feeling that maybe they're being overheard you know, it's that feeling like you're walking along and you feel like somebody... It's like you can feel somebody else's gaze upon you um, in a similar way. They think, oh, maybe someone's listening in. And so they start to remove those those casement, you know, blinds from the window mm-hmm. um, so they can see outside. And at that point, you know, Balchai knows the, the jig is up and um, she's going to be discovered. So she, she, uh, she thinks of a, a kind of cunning ruse to get her out of this situation. Um, she uses this kind of funny, funny phrase. Um, what is it in the Hawks? Let me see. Um, I shall have to do as the cicada does when he jumps out of his skin. Um, yeah. Um, it's exactly it in the Chinese. 
Jinchan Tuo Chao the Fazer. So like the golden <laughs> cicada sheds its skin, like method or trick, basically. Um so like I've I've translated as like make like a cicada and escape. Um, you know, make like a banana and split. Um and she yeah, she basically she pretends that she's looking for Dayu, basically. And that and that would explain her presence there. So she starts calling out, you know, right. calling out Dayu's name, uh, as if she had just wandered over there and not been kind of lingering there the whole time listening in. And so kind of the empty fabrication, if you will, is that she was playing hide and go seek and, and she's searching for Dayu and, and uh, she might've been, you know, in this general vicinity. And then she also kind of gives herself an escape route because she's like, Oh, I, I see you over there uh, somewhere else. And that's mm. another reason to kind of, to move. Uh, yeah. Way. Yeah. Like, yeah. Off stage. Oh, there you are. <laughs> you know, like, um, and 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 they seem to be um, they buy it. Although the, there, there's a subtle um, a twist that occurs that now they're worried that maybe Dayu uh, heard them, and there's even a, a kind of an ironic comment where they, they say like, "Well, you know, had it just been Bao Chai, that'd be fine. We know she's prudent, and she wouldn't say anything anyway. But you know, <laughs> Dayu, she's." Uh, irrational and kind of reckless, you know. And so now they're even more, uh, they're even more concerned than they probably would have been. Uh, so it's kind of a subtle irony. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's good that, isn't it? Uh, and so at this point, um, uh, Crimson sees Wang Xifeng mm-hmm. beckoning her mm-hmm. over, basically. And so she, she, you know, toddles over to ask her um, what it is she needs uh, help with. And um, she basically says she's in the garden. You know, Shifeng is saying she's come to the garden without her usual maid, like wait, waiting stuff, and she needs somebody to take a message for her. Um, and so she gives Crimson this message to take and tells her to fetch something for her as well. And um, she does this swiftly. And when she returns, she has a a message uh, of her own for Shifeng from Xifeng's, like, main maidservant uh, patience, or um, PNR. Before we get into that, there's just one thing to mention, which is, uh, on her way, carrying the message, she runs into um, some of the other maids. And one of them, um, I think it's uh, Skybright, decides to, you know, uh, kind of pick on her, or, like, pull her up for not do- not doing her kind of servant's duties correctly. You know, she says, why are, you know... Why haven't you fed the birds? Why haven't you watered the plants? Why aren't you making tea? What are you doing just like, you know, um, running around the place, basically? Um, And, um, you know, Crimson says, well, we don't have to water the plants today and I already fed the birds and it's not my responsibility to make tea today. And furthermore, I'm taking a message Mm. for um, Wang Xifeng. So, you know, up yours, basically. And, um, And Skybright tries to kind of take her down the notch by saying, you know, Look how full of herself she is, you know. She she takes one little message for for Xifeng and suddenly she thinks she's like queen of the whole of the whole mansion. Um, and so you, it's just another illustration we can see of the kind of petty feuding and jealousy that exists between some of the servants, and in particular, the resentment that some of them feel towards uh, Crimson for being so kind of ambitious. I suppose you know they. <clears throat> they've correctly mm-hmm. tweaked her as being, you know, as wanting to kind of move up in the world. Yeah. Um, 
um, yeah. and they see that as kind of threatening. Um, so what's the message that she brings back to, to Wang Xifeng? I was debating whether we should try to like uh, perform it. Do you want to do you want to try, try <laughs> should I try the <laughs> Here, I'll I'll give the setup. I'll give the setup and then you can So basically she returns to Wang Xifeng. Uh, you know, tells her she's delivered the message and also gives her the purse that she asked her to pick up. And then she goes on to say, Patience, i.e. Xifeng's main maid, told me to tell you that Brighty has just been has just been in to inquire what your instructions were for his visit and she said that she gave him a message to take based on the things that she thought you would want him to say oh said she Feng. yeah so that's already getting kind of like pretty meta right but <laughs> yeah uh, and so and what was this message based on the things she thought i would want him to say and then she said he was to tell them our lady hopes your lady is well, and she says that the master is away at present and may not be back for another day or two. But your lady is not to worry. And then the lady from the West Lane is better. Our lady will come with their lady to see your lady. And our lady says that the lady from the West Lane sent someone the other day with the message <laughs> from the elder Lady Wong saying that she hopes our lady is well. And will she please see if our lady Wong can let her have a few of her golden myriad macrobiotic pills? And if she can, will Our Lady please send someone with them to her? Because someone will be going from there to the Elder Lady Wong in time to be able to take them with her. <laughs> and so she's like midstream when uh, Li Wan, who's uh, also there, she's, um, uh, she's, you'll remember, she's the widow of Bao Yu's older brother, Zhao Zhu, uh, deceased. Uh, she, she interrupts with a laugh because this, this message is just too ridiculous for her. Um, and she can't keep track with all the different all the different ladies. So in the Chinese, I think it's used nine eyes. There's just, there's too yeah. many ladies. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But Xi Feng is actually impressed. You know, she she's able to keep track, and she's impressed that Crimson has been able to keep all of these different characters um, straight in her head. And so you know, she she compliments Crimson as being um, clearly kind of clever and capable. Um, so and then she has a bit like of... Like a 12-dimensional lady chess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> she, she then goes on to complain to Li Wan about how um, annoying it is that her servants are not all of the same standard, you know? Um, she, she uses this phrase, niu 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 So wenzi being literally a mosquito, and niu 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 being kind of like mincing or affected in speech basically i mean this is yeah this, this is more insufferable uh Feng. you know she's basically <laughs> there's, there's there's probably no discussion more uh just like despicable than servants nowadays aren't what they used to be which, which is the gist of her of her complaint <laughs> which is like the like the pinnacle yeah. of uh it's very like kind of elitist out of touch i don't know something like that you know like she um she makes this complaint which i think is kind of common to a certain kind of powerful and frightening person that basically um their inferiors or their underlings struggle to be you know direct uh, and straight with them when they talk and i always think it's kind of funny because i definitely worked with some people like that and um i kind of think it's unsurprising um that if you have such like a if your personality is is quite kind of like intimidating to others, it's not surprising that they find it difficult to get their thoughts straight and address you mm -hmm. in a in a 
in a kind of clear and straightforward manner. And so she's she's making that that kind of um, that kind of complaint. It's also you know she's talking about nowadays, but like she herself is what like like seventeen or eighteen. Like what is she talking about? It's 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 weird like performance. I I think she, um, she she might be she might be more like. But I, yeah. either way, you know, she what, might be more like twenty one, twenty two. But yeah, what's her basis exactly. for comparison? Like she's, she's, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In my day, you know, blah, blah, blah. and then um, so she says, uh, you know, Crimson, how would you like to come and work for me? Um, and um, they get into this discussion, which to me is really illuminating. It's it's. Um, kind of funny but slightly shocking um, where uh, so she says come and work for me and you can be like um, um, the phrase they use in the Hawks is goddaughter you know I'll be your godmother you'll be my goddaughter and this causes Crimson to laugh and she says the thing is my my mother is already your goddaughter so I would be your god granddaughter and Bao Chai says well I'm oh, sorry Si Feng says well who is your who is your um, godmother and she says, you know, she's the she's the the daughter of uh, this servant uh, Lin Zhixiao, and um, this causes Xi Feng to go off on a on a rant about <laughs> how Lin Zhixiao and his wife are completely useless people, and it's remarkable that they've created such a capable daughter, um, and so just <laughs> absolutely cussing out her family to her face. Um, yeah. <laughs> and she's expected to uh, yeah. accept this with a kind of smile on her face. It's just so surprising to me. Um, you know, you mean to tell me this is the Lin's daughter? She laughed. That couple of old sticks. I can never get a peep out of either of them. Okay. I've always maintained that the two of them were a perfect match. One hears nothing and the other says nothing. Well, to think they could have produced a bright little thing like this between them. And then um, <laughs> she goes on to ask her name and she says, my name is Crimson, i.e. Xiao Hong. I used to be called Jade, i.e. Hong Yu, mm -hmm. but they made me change it on account of Master Bao. So because Hong Yu is, shares a character with Bao Yu, uh, she was forced to change her name. On hearing this, Xi Feng looks away with a frown of displeasure. I should think so too. Odious <laughs> people. One can hear them saying it. We've got a Jade in our family the same as you, or some such impertinence. Um, uh -huh. <laughs> you know, she... <laughs> She, uh, we talked before about how she's she's a kind of anti heroine, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that that's kind of quite true here, right? Like she doesn't come off as a likable character at all. She comes off as really in, quite intensely unpleasant. She's like, like worse than like Tony Soprano. <laughs> she's, um, <laughs> and also, I mean, a lot of people have Jade in their names. It's not necessarily a kind of pretension. You think that was they're they're really trying to usurp? Mm -hmm. Uh, Bao Yu's jadeness it seems just preposterous I don't know but maybe who knows well I think it's just uh, maybe aping a similar thing that would have happened under I, I mean I know that if if an emperor had certain characters in uh, his name um, or associated with his reign then those characters couldn't be used in other contexts mm -hmm. and so maybe it's just following a similar tradition to that mm -hmm. I suppose. and we're going to see something similar later uh, where uh, Shangling is going to have to change her name once again on account of a new, uh, oh, new God, superior yeah. who has like a who claims an adjacent vegetation